This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, happy Pentecost Sunday. This is the day in which we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so it's very appropriate that as we think about the Spirit, that we're launching a new series today on expressing worship. And uh, there's a word that I want to teach you this morning. It's a Hebrew word called tehillah. Can you say that with me? Tehillah. Tehillah is not to be confused with tequila. Although the symptoms of tehillah and tequila could be similar. Because we know that on the day of Pentecost, when the people were filled with the Holy Spirit, some people thought they were drunk. And Peter had to share with them, well, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But there was something that came over them. And they experienced a sense of tehillah worship. Tehillah is a rich Hebrew word we find in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. It's similar in many places, as you can see the text on the screen, that in Chronicles and in Nehemiah and in Psalms, in particular the Scripture that deals with worship, Tehillah has a way of appearing. And when you look at the study of the Scriptures and you look at the content and the context of when Tehillah appears, you find these different characteristics of what Tehillah worship is. To express extravagant adoration to the point of foolishness in the eyes of others. I love that. It is the praise that God deserves, desires, and inhabits. God has a way of inhabiting the praises of his people. That God takes possession of us when we enter into this loosening and losing ourselves in worship. Tehillah is losing ourselves, getting caught up in our love for God. So today, what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of scriptures with you, a couple of stories from the, from the Bible, which were, are great examples of Tehillah worship. And then I want to talk about how we too can experience this. Now, the first story that I, I want to share with you is, comes from, to us from 2 Samuel chapter 6. And what's going on is that King David, who is the king of Israel, is leading the procession of God's people into the city of Jerusalem. Now, this is not just an ordinary day. It's a special day because they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant to worship. And the Ark of the Covenant is the power and the presence of God. And as they're bringing in the ark to the city, David, the king of Israel, who's at the height of his conquering popularity as a nation, puts aside his kingly robes and with just the the epod of a priest, kind of stripping down to his underwear, He dances with all his might before the Lord. He dances with all his might before the Lord. Twisting and twirling. Not done with King David yet. And as he's there dancing, they bring the ark to the city. 
and they bless everybody and they go their homes, but David cannot even get in the threshold of his house before Micah, his first wife, greets him with these words. How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' maids, as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself. How do you think they enjoyed dinner that night together? <laughs> now what is David to do? But David responds to Micah with these words. I have danced before the Lord. And I will make myself even more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in my own eyes. I love that. I will be abased in my own eyes. Now David was a man of passion. And if you know the story of David, you know that sometimes his passion got the better of him. And you know sometimes his passion did not stay within proper boundaries. But on this occasion, David is not dancing to impress women. He's not here to to impress anybody. He is dancing with all his might before the Lord. You know, some people, many people, some guys especially, struggle with uh, passion getting out of boundaries. Pornography is a big deal in our culture. And many men and women struggle with this reality. And I have found that the way to counteract passions that become inappropriate expressions is not to fight them on our own efforts alone, but to become passionate about God. And when you look at the life of David, you will find this to be true. David, when his heart was right with God, when he was filled with the passion of the, of the Holy Spirit, his relationship with women and everyone else was just fine. That's a big takeaway for me. But the best takeaway in this story is that here was the king of Israel who put aside his kingly robes and was willing to do the ridiculous thing, ridiculous act of dancing in his underwear before God. It says to me that sometimes we get in positions and status and it may be a little bit harder for us to awaken the love we had at first. And we become self-conscious and we worry about what other people will think. There's a second story I want to share with you, and this is a story from the New Testament, from Luke chapter 7. It's a, similar, it's a story that's very different, and yet it's very similar. Let's, let's look at these words together. And this is on the occasion where Jesus is a guest at the house of Simon the Pharisee. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his hair with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head. 
and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So here's the deal. Jesus is invited to the house of this rich, prestigious religious leader who's very cold and sterile in his environment and in his love for Christ. And he does not even do the customary greeting of the day in welcoming Jesus into his home. In that day, they would kiss someone at the door just like you and I might gesture a handshake. They would certainly offer foot washing from the dusty roads that one gathered on their feet. And they would anoint one's head with oil as a greeting into their home. Simon did none of these things to Jesus. He represents for us religious people who have forgotten our first love. who maybe go through the motions, who are morally straight, but somewhere along the way, our hearts have grown very, very cold. But the woman, her life's been much more desperate. She has no rights as a woman in that culture but she dares to crash the party uninvited because she cannot help herself but to find access to her Lord and does the ridiculous act of taking an expensive alabaster jar of perfume and pouring it over his feet, kissing his feet, washing her, his feet with her tears, drying them with her hair. 
And again, she's criticized for it, as is Jesus. Love the contrast between King David and this woman. King David is a man of power. He's at the height, maybe the most powerful guy in the, in the known world at the time. The woman who has nothing going for her, status-wise, and has a very poor reputation. Yet both these people who could not be more different than night and day reduce themselves to the ridiculousness of doing their and, and performing their love for God regardless of who is watching. To heal a worship is an expression that needs to be found in our life. And yet it's something that you don't do just for doing it. Why would you do it? Let's look at the characteristics of Tehillah worship again. To express extravagant adoration <laughs> to the point of foolishness in the eyes of others. God asked you to do something that was ridiculous in the eyes of other people, especially non-worshippers, would you do it? It is the praise that God deserves and desires. We open up ourselves and, and God comes and fills us and takes possession of us because we have given ourselves to him, holding nothing back. It is losing ourselves and being caught up in the moment in our praise to God. How is Tehillah worship finding expression in your life? Why would you do it? Why would you do it? Well, you don't do it because of other people. You don't do it to impress other people. But you don't not do it because of other people. You hear that? We are often intimidated by what our fear of what other people will think. Tehillah worship is only engaged by people who put aside what other people will think. And so in many ways, you have to be like a child. You have to just kind of become a kid again. You know, one of the great joys of my life is, is my grandson, Oren. I try not to talk about him more than two or three times a year in sermons. Oren and I uh, had a lot of fun this week where he is now officially enrolled in the Grow to Know Preschool at Schweitzer. And as he's enrolling and his mother's filling out the paperwork, Oren leads me to the door that leads into the playground, the inner courtyard. And I don't even know, uh, Scott, if I'm supposed to be out there with my grandson at the time, but the kids were napping and nobody else was around. So we go out there. And he, he acts like he owns the place. And he slides down this red slide. And in the, in, the, in the preschool area, there's this big yellow slide that's like three times the size or more of the red slide. And Oren, he climbed up the stairs to the yellow slide. And he went to, to the slide. And he looked down. And he backed away. 
And so I come up and I stand next to this light and say, hey, Orrin, come on, you can do it. Come on down the slide. He walks back up to the slide, looks down, and backs away. And he starts to go down the stairs. And then I say to him, Orrin, you can do it. Come here. Hold Papa's hands, and you can come down the slide. And immediately, he went down the slide completely. In the midst of that, it's like I heard God say to me, Bob, your grandson really trusts you. He knows that you are there for him. I want you to trust me like that. And then if that wasn't enough, when we were leaving and going through the garden, we walked by the statue of Jesus. Now, I love it when uh, kids are around, and what I will do oftentimes is I'll pick the kids up if, they, if their parents want me to or if it's okay. Uh, I check with parents. <laughs> Why don't you give Jesus a high five? And the kids love it. Give Jesus a high five. Well, my back's bothering me these days, so I couldn't lift my grandson up. But I say to him, Oren, Oren, Jesus, Jesus. Can you say Jesus? Now, Alexander's teaching Oren to say, love mommy, love daddy, love papa. I didn't say, say love Jesus, but Oren doesn't just say Jesus. He says, love Jesus, love Jesus. And so through the eyes of a child, through the eyes and the actions of my grandson, he really nailed it. What does it mean to become a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? How do you trust Jesus for salvation? What, what do you have to say? It's just really trust me and love me. Have you done that? Have you come to the point where you just don't, don't worry anymore. You trust Jesus, and you love Jesus. And friends, we don't ever lose that. But somewhere along the way, we have forgotten how to be a child. And Jesus said that unless you become like a child, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus said, keep the children coming to me. Don't keep them away. Let them come to me. And when the kids got out of line and were yelling and screaming and shouting his name and the religious people said, stop them. Jesus said, hey, if they don't cry out, the stones will. So there's something about you and I have got to become like a child again. Don't you want to? Don't you want to be playful before your creator? Don't you want to dance sometime before him? Sing to him? Love him? Adore him? Do you let it out? When was the last time you just let it out? Um, in our garden, the Stanford Garden, we had an incident that happened recently when we 
we've given this garden to God, and we pray, God, may these gardens and these plants not only grow vegetables well, but may relationships grow and may people come to know you. So about three weeks ago, there were two women that were lived in the neighborhood that just came and stood in our garden, and they met for the first time. They'd lived right next to each other, but had never met. Do you, do you know your neighbors? And as they're getting acquainted, this woman from the Burmese community, and the Burmese take up most of the lot. There's a Burmese community that lives about a mile from here in apartments. They love the garden. And an elder from the Burmese community, this woman came and she blessed every lot, every plot of ground. And these two women that have just met each other are looking at her, taking this in. Saying, well, you know, what is she doing? Now, I'm sure that the Burmese elder did not think about anybody else as she was doing this to God for God, just practicing her faith. But in this case, the women were critical. Who knows what God is going to do with that? So, these expressions of worship, they happen in a way that's rather thoughtless. We don't think ahead. We don't plan it. We don't premeditate it. But when God moves in our life and wants to do something rich and real, we're willing to let it go, to be ridiculous before God. I've been... Uh, praying this week. I've been praying that uh, Schweitzer would become a church where we'd be known as a people that really love God. As I think we're known that we love people and we serve people, that we, we would be a church that really loves God and is willing to be extravagant and re even ridiculous at times in our expression for God, in our love for God. And as I'm praying this prayer this week, God says to me, not in an audible voice, but the whisper that I've learned to hear over the years, Bob, are you willing to be ridiculous for me? <laughs> this question made me very nervous. And I said, yes, God, gulp, yes, I'm willing. And I want you to sing for me, Bob. I want you to sing I want you to sing before everyone. I want you to sing this song that you've been singing to me. Now, friends, I don't sing well. Um, over the years, there's been many episodes where I've gotten a lot of feedback about that. <laughs> One time I was doing a funeral in a country church, and this really uh, uh, very popular guy in the community died very suddenly, and so the sanctuary was full, and the basement, the fellowship area was full, and the speaker that they could hear, uh, the only microphone that came through the speaker downstairs was my voice. And so after the message, they forgot to cut my voice off. And my friend told me later, it was the most excruciating experience of her life to hear me sing solo, Love Lifted Me. So Susan, over the years, has been sitting in the pew sometimes, and they forget to turn the microphone off. And she just discreetly goes... 
<clears throat> so I don't sing well. But I am, I'm going to sing this morning. And it is my love song to God. Because we're lowering the bar to let you know that you too can do something ridiculous if God asks you to. So I'm, this is for God. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song, Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long.